0: Welcome to the Keris Christian Center Podcast. I'm so glad each and every one of you are here. God is so good to us. We began last week teaching on the grace life, and we started in John chapter 1, if you want to turn there really briefly. We were went through verse 14. To verse 17, but I'll just make a couple of comments. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we said that grace begins and ends with Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of grace. Now, we're going to move today to Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul says this. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him who called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel. He says, Which is not another, though there be some who trouble you, who would pervert the gospel of Christ. But to move away from grace is really to move away from Jesus. Then he says in verse 16, he says, of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. Thank God. We have received grace for grace. So you've received grace from Jesus for the grace that's on your life. And we said there are different aspects of grace. Not only are we saved by grace, like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we grow through grace. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18, "Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." But it says this in actually Where am I at now? It says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 that he he saved us by grace in verse 5 and he raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places In Christ Jesus, in verse 7, he says, that in the ages to come he might show to us the exceeding riches of his grace toward us through Christ Jesus. So, praise God, in in eternity, God is going to show us grace in the person of Jesus. Now, if we look at verse 17, he says this, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So truth, we said this, minus grace equals law that produces death. Truth plus grace equals Jesus who produces life. So the way that you approach the truth determines whether the truth is gonna produce life or death in your life. And there's some people that approach the truth without grace. In fact, I know some grace people that are very legalistic. So you got to have the truth plus grace. That equals Jesus, and that brings life. So we need to approach the truth through grace. Now, it took me a long time to get a revelation of grace and i'll be sharing in this teaching as we go on down about the revelation of grace i won't be sharing today about the revelation of grace but i i was saved when i was eight years old received jesus as my savior so we know that's a work of grace right i was baptized in the holy spirit and called to preach when i was 14 praise god so we know that's a work of grace amen but it wasn't until i was 30 years old and I had been pastoring for six years that I got a revelation of grace. And when I got a revelation of grace, it revolutionized my life. In fact, Barbara says I'm not even like living with the same person. Grace has completely changed how I deal with my family, how I deal with my children, how I deal with people that work for me. Grace has completely changed my life. Amen? And it's changed how I minister to people as a whole. Praise God. So we thank God for the grace of God. Amen. Now, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1. We'll be in the first few verses, and we're going to talk about today what grace produces in our life. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all of the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. "'Grace be to you and peace from God the Father "'and from our Lord Jesus Christ.'" So I believe one of the first things that grace produces in our life is grace produces peace, peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, "'Therefore, being justified by faith, "'we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.'" The New King James says it this way, having been justified by faith, since we have been justified by faith, we have been justified by faith, we are at peace with God and grace and peace. Now, realize that 17 of the 26 New Testament books start with grace and peace, all of Paul's named letters that he wrote by name, with the exception of Romans, start with grace and peace. First and 2 Peter start with grace and peace. 2 John starts with grace and peace. Jude starts with grace and peace. And even Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus, by the way. It's the revelation of grace, praise God, begins with grace and peace. So when when you come to know grace, you're going to operate in more peace. Now, there are things that will try to get you out of peace, right? But you've got to keep operating in grace, and that leads to peace. Now, let's go to 2 Peter 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when the more you get to know God, amen, right? The more grace and peace are multiplied to you. The more that you get to know Jesus, the more grace and peace are, are multiplied to you, and we need grace and peace to be multiplied in our life. We need a multiplication of grace, amen, and a multiplication of peace. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. You'll keep him in complete Complete peace. You know, the devil is always trying to get you off of peace. He's always trying to get you out of peace. But you've got to let grace and peace be multiplied to you through knowing God in Jesus. And he says, you will keep him in complete peace, whose mind is stayed upon you. As you fix your mind on Jesus, praise God, you will operate in great peace. Peace. I love this scripture. Psalm 119 verse 165 says, Great peace have they who love your word and nothing will offend them. Praise God. If you're easily offended, you're probably not operating in a lot of grace. Right? And if you, and if you love the word, the love of the word will cause grace, right, to be multiplied to you. So it says grace and peace be multiplied to you. We need a multiplication of Grace. We need a multiplication of peace. And as we fix our mind on the Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. The more that you get to know God, right, the more that you're going to operate in grace and the more you're going to operate in peace. The Bible actually uh, says this thinking about peace in Romans chapter 8 verse 6, it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So when you're spiritually minded, you're going to move into life and peace. Carnal mindedness will lead you into what? Death. Now you have to understand when you talk about Romans, what Uh, Paul is really saying when he writes Romans chapter 6, because when he writes Romans chapter 6, he says, or Romans chapter 8, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, he says this in the very first verse, he says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And what that literally means in Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation, there's no judgment against those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Walking after the flesh. A lot of times, we look at walking after the flesh as, what, getting drunk, chasing women, right, drugs, right, all these works of the flesh, and the Bible says the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, hatred, all these different things. But there's also a work of the flesh called strife, sedition, and heresies, right? And, and when Paul writes Romans chapter 8 and he's talking about the flesh and he said to be carnal, you know what, you can be legalistic and legalism is carnal-mindedness. So there's not only this worldly carnal-mindedness, There's this legalistic mentality that's carnal-mindedness. And if you're a very legalistic person, the fact is you are, if you're always looking for what's wrong instead of what's for right, you are a, you're, that's carnal-mindedness. If you're always focused on the negative instead of focused on the positive, if nobody can ever please you, you know what? You You gotta watch that. Hallelujah, because you're, it, you can get into the flesh rather than the spirit, amen? So we want to do things right, but we don't want to make it a work of the flesh. We realize it has to be a work of the spirit. It has to be a work of what God is doing, amen? And God has done. So as we, as we think about this, I want to go over to uh, Hebrews chapter four, and I want to read in Hebrews chapter four, Verse 9 and verse 10, it says this, There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Now what he's talking about when he's talking about entering into rest, you could equate that with peace. He says there remains a rest to the people of God. And he says, he that's entered into his, he's speaking of the rest of Jesus. In verse 8, he says, for if Jesus had given them rest, and he was actually talking about some translations say of Joshua, He was talking about when Joshua led the children of Israel into the promised land. If he had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken to another day. So what he's essentially saying is that Israel going into the promised land was ultimately not what God was talking about. And he he goes on and talks about Israel going on to the promised land. And then he talks about David because David came after a number of years after you know, Israel entered into the promised land, and he, he taught, when he talks about David, uh, he's actually saying they didn't get it. So he says in verse 7, notice this, again, he limits a certain day saying in David, today, after so long a day, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Right? So what he's saying, if Joshua, right, or Jesus had given them rest... He says, then he would not afterward have spoken another day. So what he's saying is, the children of Israel didn't obtain this rest when they entered into the promised land. And he's saying, they hadn't got it because David came another, a number of years later and speaks of another day beyond David, right? So he says, there's something that Jesus did when he lived here on the earth that, that he brought us into that rest. So he says, there remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, entered into the work that Jesus performed, the work that Jesus did, has ceased from his own works, has ceased from his own striving. Right? Right? As God did from his, it's like when God created the heaven and earth, God created it in six days and then on the seventh day, he rested. He said, Jesus finished the work at Calvary. And since Jesus has finished the work, there's nothing that we can do to improve on the work that Jesus has already done. Jesus completed it. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. So, for instance, a lot of times what we do in the body of Christ, and I'm going to raise both of my hands because I'm very guilty of this. We hear the promises of God, right, in a word of faith church, like Pastor, and I consider myself to be a word of faith preacher, okay? I consider myself to be a word of faith and a word of grace preacher. Paul said it's the word of faith that we preach, okay? So I think if Paul said it and Paul was a word of faith preacher, it's okay to be a word of faith preacher. I'm saying that because some grace people are very legalistic. And if you use the term word of faith, they get upset. But Paul, who was the author of the grace message, right, along with Jesus, calls himself a word of faith preacher. Right, he, he also understands that he's preaching the message of grace. So there are really two messages that are paramount in the, in the New Testament. They're the message of grace, And grace is the message of what Jesus has done in his death, burial, and resurrection. And there's the message of faith. And faith is our positive response towards the message of Jesus or towards the message of grace or towards the gospel. The gospel, the the term in the New Testament, the gospel and grace are synonymous amen? So what he says is Jesus has finished his work. So a lot of times we come to churches like ours and we preach on the promises, how God wants to bless you and God wants to help you. And if we don't watch it, we go out in our strength, in our own power, and we try to make these things happen. And many times we create more of a mess than we had in the first place. That has happened to me a number of times. I've tried to help God. Well, God doesn't really need any help. All right? Now, another thing we do is we hear, we hear the word of faith preached, right? And, and then we, we go like, if you listen to me, I have messages that I preach on believing and speaking the word. And I'm a big believer in that. Because the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it eat the fruit thereof. But what we try to do if we hear messages like that and we don't really understand grace, we think that our believing and speaking is making God accomplish it. And I'm here to tell you, you're not going to make God do anything. But our believing and speaking really, rather than trying to move God, our believing and speaking is a response to the fact that God has already moved. It's a response to the gospel. So when you, for instance, when you understand that Jesus came and lived on the earth, right? Lived perfectly, purely, holy, never sinned. And then he died on the cross and took your sins, went to the grave and God raised him from the dead. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, he made him Lord. Then you confess Jesus is Lord. You confessing that Jesus is Lord does not make Jesus Lord. God made Jesus Lord when he raised him from the dead. The reason that you confess Jesus is Lord is because you hear the gospel and believe it. So Paul's talking about this and he says, the righteousness of faith in Romans 10 verse 8 talks this way. It doesn't say, prior to this, he says, the righteousness of faith doesn't say in in verse 6 and verse 7, who's going to go up into heaven to bring Christ down and who's going to go into the grave to bring Christ up. The righteousness of faith says this, the word is near you, even in your heart, in your mouth, that is the word of faith that we preach. That if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, that's how you got righteous. You didn't do anything to get righteous. You believe the gospel. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So when I heard that Jesus came, right, and Jesus lived a sinless, holy, perfect, pure life and died on the cross for my sins and went to the grave and conquered the devil and God raised him from the dead and made him Lord, I confess Jesus is Lord. And the reason that I confess Jesus is Lord is because I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. And you know what? That's how faith works. It, it works that way in every aspect of the gospel. So when I, when I believe that not only Jesus took my sin, but Jesus took my sickness, right? And by his stripes, I was healed. I was already healed. I'll say, by Jesus' stripes, I was healed, And I'm not trying to move God. I'm not trying to get God to do anything. What I'm doing is I am realizing that God made Jesus my healer when he died and rose again. And because of that, I say, by Jesus' stripes, I was already healed. I'm not trying to move God. I'm not trying to make God heal anybody. He already healed them in one sense of the word, 2,000 years ago. When I say I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord, do you know why I say I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord? Because I believe I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I'm not trying to get God to bless me. When I say Jesus is my provider, he provides all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God supplies all my needs. I'm not trying to get God to supply my needs. I'm not trying to move the hand of God. The the hand of God already moved 2,000 years ago, but I just heard the gospel, and I believe that God is my provider, and I believe that he already made provision for me 2,000 years ago. And so because I believe the gospel concerning what God promised me and what Jesus accomplished at the cross, when when he died and rose again, I'll say... Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my healer. By his stripes I was already healed. God is my provider. I am blessed by the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth. I'm not trying to move God, I'm just agreeing with what God's already done. You see the difference in that? So here's what we do if, we, if we're not careful when we hear the word of faith preached. We try to go do these things to make God do something. And God's already moved rather than entering into what he's done. Praise God. But when you find out what he's already done, then you move into it. The blessing's already there. The provision's already there. Amen. The healing's already, the healing's already. Jesus isn't going to the cross again. He's not taking stripes on his back again. Amen. Jesus is not dying again. He was once offered to bear the sins of many, Hebrews says, and he, he has finished that work and he does not have to do it again. Amen. So, for instance, when we receive communion, what we're doing is receiving, right, This. Bread as a type of his body that was already broken for us. We're we're receiving this cup as a type of his blood that was already shed for us. Jesus is not going to the cross again. That is a finished work. And we are celebrating what he has already accomplished for us in the person of Christ. So he says, If you look at another place, it says these works were finished right here in Hebrews chapter 4 before the foundation of the world. And Revelation 13 verse 8 says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, God had a plan. Before before you ever sinned, God had a plan for your salvation. Amen? God had a plan for your life. Amen? In fact, it says this, In in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, it says that God saved you and called you with the holy calling which he gave to you in Christ Jesus before the world began. So we could say that's grace from eternity past. Right? We could say that he saved you, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, 6, and 7, by his grace that in the ages to come, he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us by Christ Jesus. That's grace for eternity and future. And when we got saved, that's grace for right now. Amen? For by grace are you saved through faith, not that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Amen? So what we're doing, we're just entering, when we hear the gospel and believe it, we're just entering in to this great plan of grace that God had from the foundation of the world. Amen? And I'm telling you this, a lot of people, when they pray their prayers, they're trying to make God accomplish it. We could simplify a lot of our prayers. In fact, this is what I've been praying for Karis Christian Center I've been praying that we are moving into the purposes and plans that God has for this church from the foundation of the world. I believe that we're moving into the purposes and plans of God, (laughs) amen. In other words, I'm not trying to think it up. I'm just trying to find out what that is and move into it, praise God. And, And when I find out, Carla Gifford, stand up. Carla's a wonderful woman of faith. But years ago, Barbara and I pastored in Kit Carson. We pastored there for 13 years. And then God called us to come here to Colorado Springs and start another church. And, 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 and when we shared this with the church, Carla spoke to me. She gave me a word. This is a wonderful word that she gave me. She said, Pastor Lawson or Lawson, you know where you need to go, you and Barbara? I said, Where? She said, you need to go to Colorado Springs because God's already there, and He's waiting on you to get there. and he'll be there when you get there. And so many people are trying to go and make things happen. as a great word, Carl, I love you. Amen. So many people are trying to trying to, to you know, find out something and then make God accomplish something. It just works so much better to find out what His plan is and then move into that, and the blessing's already there. Amen. Javier and Alicia, great example. About a year before they came here, right? They had already been here. They had already been to three years of Bible school. Right? Javier went back to Mexico. Alicia went back to her home church in Seattle. And about a year before they came here, they came here in February, right at the beginning of the pandemic. About a year before that, in April... Javier, God had been speaking to him and asking him something, and he was communicating back. And, and God spoke to him, and said, You're going to go back to Colorado. And so Javier told his pastor, Pastor Bobby Crow, who's going to be preaching here in a couple weeks in our early service, he said, Pastor, we're going to be going back to Colorado. Bobby didn't know, right, if that was right or wrong. He said, Well, we'll see. But Javier to talked to Alicia. He said, Alicia, has God been saying anything to you? And I may not get this story quite right, but it's pretty close. But, but Alicia said something like this. Yeah, I, I think he's telling me we're going to be going back to Colorado. And through an amazing, you know, structure of events, I ended up in Mexico preaching in February of 2020, and while I was preaching there, Javier was like in every, every service, and we needed a youth pastor at that point in time, and, and I came home and told Aaron, and Aaron said, I'll tell you who your youth pastor is. Your youth pastor is Javier. You said you want somebody that connects with the kids and that communicates with them, and he does, right? And so we know because of those events and how they were structured, we know that that was God's plan, right? And then after, I didn't say anything to Javier when I was there. I just told Aaron. He came to every meeting I was in. Even we were in the truck together one night after service and somebody asked him a question. And when they asked him a question, here's how he answered that. And he answered the exact answer that I gave him in Bible school three years earlier. (laughs) And Aaron's like, He's your youth pastor, Daddy. So I called his pastor, Pastor Bobby Crow, and I said, uh, Pastor Bobby, we're thinking maybe Javier should come here and uh, maybe be our youth pastor. And Pastor Bobby says, Well, I think that might be the Lord. Now, God spoke this to Javier 10 minutes earlier, right? And then a couple hours later, Pastor Bobby called me. He said, That is the Lord. So he went and talked to Javier, and then Javier called me, and then we made arrangements for Javier to come. Alicia was already coming with her dad from Seattle because there was going to be a men's thing at Karis. And so they weren't married yet, but we made made arrangements not only to interview Javier and interview Alicia, but interview her dad because we want to make sure that her dad was okay with her marrying Javier. All right. So... Yeah, I know, you're marrying somebody from another country, we want to make sure this is okay, right? So we interviewed Javier and Alicia and, and Alicia's dad, praise God, and then, and then Javier got stuck here and couldn't go back to Mexico because of the pandemic. And so he brought two weeks of clothes and ended up he didn't go back to Mexico for over a year. That's just how the pandemic worked out. And it worked out and then Javier became our youth pastor and then some other events happened and I had told Alicia you could come in the summer and maybe come to work for us and I called Alicia really quickly and said, I need you by the 1st of April, can you make that happen? And uh, she made that happen. So we can see the hand of God, right? And he leads us by his spirit and sometimes he gives us little glimpses of the future, right? But then it takes his grace even when he's in it It takes his grace to accomplish that and work that out. And so he saved us and called us with a holy calling. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9 says, By his own purpose and grace, before the foundation of the world began. You know, Aaron, he went and studied all this. And listen, I didn't want to try to push any of my children to go into ministry. A lot of pastors try to do that. I didn't want to do that. Now we're all ministers of the gospel as born-again people in one sense of the word. But Aaron, Aaron was doing some different things. He got his masters. He was getting his doctorate. But he was he was dating this born-again conservative Catholic girl, and he dated her just for a little bit. And she said, "I can't marry you." He said, "Well, why can't you marry me?" She said, "Because you're going to be a pastor." Karen's like, this is weird because she knew I was going to be a pastor before I knew I was going to be a pastor. (laughs) And about a year after that, Pastor Max was going to leave and I was talking to Max about different people that we could bring in to be assistant pastor, so on and so forth. And Max is like, no, that's not God. No, no, that's not God. No, that's not God. No, that's not God. God." Finally, I, I brought this up. He said, that's God. You need to pursue that. So I talked to all of my uh, you know, counselors, because I don't believe in making major decisions without. So I talked to Andrew Womack, right? I talked to to different leaders in my life, Greg Fritz, different ones that were on my board at that time. Pastor Mike Davis was on my board, so I talked to all them, and they all they all agreed. They said, "Yeah, we believe we believe this is the Lord." And then I talked to some of my advisors at the church, and I had like seven couples on the advisory board, and they all agreed with it except Judith. Judith's on the front row, and she said, well, pastor, I'm just going to go on record saying, I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) And then a little bit after Aaron came, she said, yep, it's God. Amen. But see, there, there is a grace of God for your life. There is a grace. There is a place that God wants. In fact, some people are trying to kick down doors by faith. And sometimes God closes doors, and you just need to leave them closed. And you need to look for the doors that God's opened. And sometimes people get themselves in the biggest mess because they're trying to kick down doors and they're trying to go. And if, you, if there's no grace on it, you're trying to make God move. And it just doesn't work that way. But when you find the grace on it, God's already moved, it's already worked. Just just get involved and in I hope this is making sense to you. So he says these works were finished from the foundation of the world. There's an amazing plan of grace. It began before the foundation of the world. And we entered into it when we got saved. But one of the first things that happens when you really begin to understand grace is you begin to walk in more peace. Because, uh, in fact, there were people that knew me before I got a revelation of grace. And there are people that knew me, and they're just like, something has changed. And it's this thing called grace. There's grace for that. But if there's not grace for it, you probably don't want to be operating in it. Amen? But one of the first things that grace produces is peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And Jesus finished these works, so we're just entering into a plan that God had before the foundation of the world. Now, if we go back to Galatians, I believe the next thing that... Grace really produces after it produces peace, is I believe that grace produces freedom. In fact, Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's talking about the gospel of grace. One translation says, It is for freedom that he set us free. Another one says, Christ set us free to live the free life. Amen? The free life is in Jesus. In fact, a good friend of mine that started a church and I helped him, he calls it Free Life Church. I love that name, by the way. Praise God, but thank God for grace. Now, when we begin to look at this in verse 4, Galatians 1 verse 4, Paul says this, speaking of Jesus, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father? Jesus gave himself for us to deliver us, to free us from this present evil world. In other words, we need freedom, and freedom is part of the gospel. Now when you really begin to understand the gospel, you begin to understand that you were you got set free when you believed on Jesus. Amen? In fact, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 just back a book, verse we'll read verse 9 through verse 11. Paul says this, "We had the sentence of death in ourselves, That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from such a great death. We have been delivered from such a great death. Now, what death is he talking about? He's talking about you have been saved, right? And he's talking about when you were saved, you were delivered from spiritual death, now if we define spiritual death right in a in a term that's understood widely by the church what would we define how would we define spiritual death Separation from God by sin that may not be the most correct biblical definition I believe a more correct definition you can find in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 and verse 18 that says We were alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that was in us because of lust. When lust entered in, when sin entered in, right, it caused us to move away from God. We were alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that was in us. Sin will make you spiritually retarded. It'll make you spiritually ignorant, so when you move into sin, right, it causes you to be spiritually ignorant ignorant, and it causes you, because you're spiritually ignorant, to move away from God. That's why Paul says in, in verse 6 here, right, and we're going to get there another time, but he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another, though there are some who would be who would trouble you who pervert the gospel of Christ. You don't want to move away. What happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden? They tried to hide themselves from the presence of God. But what did God do? God came in the cool of the day and he said, Adam, where are you? God came after them. So that's why I believe that's a more correct definition for for spiritual death is being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in you because of lust. That's right out of the scripture. Because you know what? God didn't alienate himself from us. We moved away from him. But however, you were spiritually dead. And he says here in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 9, he says this, he, he says, we had this sense of d- death in ourselves that we would not trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death. So I have been delivered, I have been freed, I have been saved from spiritual death. How did that happen? I believed on Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. It says, You hath He quickened, you hath He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Now what part of you was dead? Your spirit was dead. Colossians 1.13 says, He delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now notice that in verse Ten here, it says, who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death. I believe that's when you got saved. So if I ask you, have you been saved? How many of you could raise your hand and say, I've been saved. I've been delivered. I've been freed. I've been from a great death. Right? But it's, so, so that's past tense. But there's also a present tense, right? And he says, who does deliver us? Now, in Galatians 1 verse 4, Paul says uh, that Jesus gave himself for us that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Now, how many of you know that you've been saved and you know that you're saved? You don't have any question whether you, you know that you're saved and yet you could still be tempted with evil because we're in a world that's been affected by sin and by Satan And we're trusting not only have we been delivered, but we are being delivered. In fact, the Bible says we are not of those in the end of Hebrews chapter 10 who draw back to perdition or judgment, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Because guess what? Your spirit wasn't the only part of you that needed saving. Your brain needed some work. (laughs) Amen? And <laughs> come up here and give me five. <laughs> my brain needed an overhaul. Yes. Yeah, my brain, my spirit got born again. My spirit became a new creation. There, there, It can't get any better than it already is. But my brain needed an overhaul. And by the way, it still needs a little tuning up. Yes. <laughs> Probably even right now. Even this morning. (laughs) Need a little brain tune up. Struggling in my brain. But Jesus came so you get brainwashed because your brain needed washing real bad. Call that the washing of the water of the word. So he says, we are not of those who draw back, Hebrews chapter 10, the very end of the chapter, unto perdition, unto judgment, but those who believe to the saving of the soul because I'm not 100% spirit. I am a spirit, I possess a soul and I live in a body and my, my brain, my mind, my will and my emotions still need some work. In fact, I can remember my dad being in an Andrew Wommack meeting years ago when we first came into the full gospel and, and Andrew gave an altar call for this and my dad went forward for prayer and he gave an altar call for something else and my dad went forward for prayer again and he gave an altar call for something else and my dad went forward the third time. And finally my dad said, I guess I just need an overhaul. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, some of you need an overhaul. Praise God. You need a, you need a, you got a spiritual overhaul, not an overhaul. You got born again. You got a brand new spirit made in the image of God, but your brain needs overhauled. Amen. And because you're in a world that's been affected by sin and Satan, it's going to need some tuning up on a regular basis because you can get off the course. You can get off track and a lot of good people have. So you got to keep renewing your minds, right? You got to keep, but then he says, so that's talking about right here and right now. Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. That's talking about the Arab of soul. But then he says here in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. That's in the future. So my spirit has been saved. My soul is being saved and I'm trusting that my body will be saved. Now turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 13, and then we're going to go back and read some other verses. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, the scripture says this, gird up the loins of your mind, that's what we're talking about, and be sober, right? Know where you're going, what you're doing, and hope for the end, for the grace That is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes again, there's going to be grace. So he said, I got saved by grace, I'm being saved by grace, and I trust I'm going to be saved by grace. So I have been, I am, and I will be saved. I have been delivered, I am being delivered, and I trust that I will be delivered. Amen? I have been freed, I am being freed, and I trust that I will be freed. Amen? Now, let's go back to verse 5. Well, Actually, let's start in verse 3. It says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and fades not away that is reserved for you in heaven who are kept by the power of God, or I might like to say the grace of God, through faith unto salvation. Look at this, ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only have I been saved, am I being saved, but I trust I am gonna be saved when Christ comes again. He says, wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season, if it need be your in heaviness through many temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Most of us have not seen Jesus, probably none of us have seen Jesus in the flesh, I did have a vision of Jesus one time in a night vision in the year of 2014. I did have a vision of, of Jesus, but, but I believed in Jesus before I had that night vision of Jesus, right? And even though I've never seen Jesus in the flesh, I completely believe in Jesus, I believe in him and I rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that is to come to you. So I have been saved, right? He's talking about that in verse 3, 4, and 5. Actually, verse 5, he begins to talk about salvation that's ready ready to be revealed. I am being saved, verse 9, and I trust I will be saved in verse 13 when Jesus comes again. I'm going to get a glorified, immortal, eternal body that's never going to deal with some of the challenges that I deal with in this physical temple right now. And I'm looking forward to that day. Amen? So when we we begin to look at the gospel, we begin to understand the gospel, number one, the gospel produces peace. Hallelujah, And, and there's peace when we understand it's not about us, it's not about our works, it's not about our performance, it's not about all the things that we do, it's about what he's already done. And secondly, when we really understand the gospel, the gospel brings us into freedom. And the first aspect of freedom really is freedom from sin. And, and the way that we really get freedom to sin work, right? If you go to Romans chapter 6, he talks about this. He says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God through our Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 6.10. But then in verse 12, he says, for sin shall not have dominion over you, or verse 14, because you are not under the law, but under grace, amen? And the way that grace really works to help you overcome sin is when you identify with the work that Jesus has already done, amen? In fact, I had someone in, they were visiting with me this week, And they'd been challenged, so they went, right, to certain counselors, and and it's good because they needed some freedom, right? Operating, but they said, after we got the counseling, then we went to the group, and in the group, they want us to confess that I am a, and they said, we're being challenged with that. So I said, just say it like this, I was a but now I am the righteousness of God in Christ because that's what the gospel says. And when I understand I was a, but now I am the righteousness of God because I'm not going to keep confessing Because I've already been set free. I've already been delivered. I've already come out of that old life. I'm a new creation in Christ. I am the righteousness of God. I am blessed by the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Amen. And since I am, I'm not going to go back and try to undo what Jesus has done. I'm going to agree with what he's already done for me. Amen. So there's no problem with saying, I was a sinner, but now I am a saint. I was a drunkard, but now I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I was sicker than a dog, but now I am the healed of the Lord as poor as Job's turkey but now I'm blessed by the most high God the possessor of heaven and earth hallelujah when you begin to understand what the gospel's really done you can't continue in fact some people are praying prayers and they're continually confessing this stuff that they aren't anymore and they're wondering why they're having such trouble getting free where you ought to just say well that's what I was but this is who I am Amen. When you understand that and you identify with Jesus, all of a sudden you walked out of the darkness into the light. Okay, I'm done. Mr. Aaron's going to come receive the gospel. Thank you for listening to the Charis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to Center.com or call us at 719-418-4000.